If we haven't had the chance to meet before, my name's Andrew. I'd love the chance to get to meet you at some point. I'm the student ministries pastor here at Seoul, which means I get to hang out with our wildlife, our young life students, grade 6 to 12 each week. We've really enjoyed being back all together in one big group, doing live worship, live teaching. We've been having a great time. We're excited for spring break for our students. Uh, we get to hang out with them this week. We also feel for a lot of our leaders who are uh, university students right now and finishing up their semesters. So if that's you, or even if you're not a leader, but you're a university student, stay strong. You've got this. You can make it happen. But I'm excited for this morning. We've been having a good time in the past few weeks in our Ask Anything series. Pastor Jerry has spent the last few weeks talking about or answering your questions about science, about the authenticity of the Bible, about sexuality, and more. And today it's my turn to answer one of the questions that came in. If you've been around Seoul for a little while now, you might know that the language we use is important to us. We call our time together on Sunday mornings gatherings rather than services, because we're not providing a service for you, but it's a gathering together of believers. There are phrases that you might hear more often than others, like our four family values. We believe the message of Jesus is for everyone. We believe we can make a difference. We believe in taking the next step, and we believe you can't do life alone. There's, there's actually probably a pretty good chance that you'll hear some of those in my life lesson today. And one of the other phrases that if you listen on Sunday mornings that you'll regularly hear is the phrase, make your faith your own. Every Sunday when the host releases the kids, you probably heard it with Tanner today, they pray that the kids would make their faith their own. And this is where our question comes from this morning. Well, making your faith your own is a phrase that you might be familiar with. The question is, what does that actually mean and what does it practically look like to make one's faith their own? And maybe before we'll start, I'll just mention that it's definitely not just something for kids. Rather, it's something for every believer, every follower of Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you that we're able to gather together this morning. I thank you for a community that we can pursue you with. I thank you that uh, the sun is shining outside. And we pray that you open up our hearts and minds to what you have for us this morning. God, I pray that you help us make our faith our own. Amen. Now, I'm a big fan of stories. Narrative is probably one of the ways that I learn the best. And so today I want to situate our discussion about making your faith your own around a story. In fact, it's around one of my favorite Old Testament stories, and it's found in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. It's the story of King Josiah. And so we're going to start reading together in 2 Kings uh, chapter 21, verse 19. It says, Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem two years. His mother's name was Meshulameth. You can say that a few times faster, name your kids that if you want. Daughter of Haraz, she was from Jotba. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. He followed completely the ways of his father, worshiping the idols his father had worshipped and bowing down to them. He forsook the Lord, the God of his ancestors, and did not walk in obedience to him. Now, Ammon's officials conspired against him and assassinated the king in his palace. Then the people of the land killed all who had plotted against King Ammon, and they made Josiah his son king in his place. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. So we get introduced to this King Josiah person, and he's in an interesting spot. He's put in charge of Israel, God's chosen people, at the age of eight years old. 
I think back to when I was eight and maybe I was dressing up like a king or commanding my Lego armies as their king. But Josiah, he's doing this for real. Now, when you actually study the story, he wasn't actually the one in charge right away. All through, and all throughout his life, you'll see that the, he had people to help him lead, which is actually something we'll come back to later. But he's following in the footsteps of his father, Ammon, and his grandfather, Manasseh, who were both have said to done evil things. If you want a good idea of the type of kings that these people were, you can take a look back earlier in chapter 21. In verse 11, it says that King Manasseh of Judah had done many detestable things. He's even more wicked than the Amorites who lived in this land before Israel. He has caused the people of Judah to sin with his idols. A few verses later in verse 16, we read that Manasseh also murdered many innocent people until Jerusalem was filled with, from one end to the other with innocent blood. This was in addition to the sin that he had caused the people of Judah to commit, leading them to do evil in the Lord's sight. Wow, not a great guy. Filled the whole city with innocent blood. And as we already read, it says that Ammon, his son, followed completely in his father Manasseh's footsteps. Really not great kings for King Josiah to follow up, but this is where we find him. This is where he finds himself as he takes the throne. However, we'll see as the story continues that he doesn't end up following in the footsteps of his father or his grandfather. In fact, sometimes he's even referred to as Israel's last good king. But this isn't something that he just does one day. As we look at the rest of the story, you'll see that King Josiah takes several significant next steps. I told you those family values would come up again this morning. He doesn't make every change all at once, but slowly works towards his own personal faith journey and the faith journey of the nation of Israel as he brings them back to God. We read about the first step Josiah takes in this journey in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 34, verses 2 and 3. It says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And it's here that I want to highlight the first part of what it looks like to make one's faith your own. It says that King Josiah began to seek the God of his father David. A few other translations say he began to seek after God. When we look at the actual Hebrew word that's used here, it's the word derash, and, and its meaning is to resort to, to seek or to seek with care, to inquire or require. And when it's used in the sense to resort to or to seek, it's implied that it's a place where one frequently goes or returns to. So when it says that he began to seek the God of his father David, it's more, that, more than he just went looking for him one day. He searched for him. He went to him frequently or often. He yearned or longed or desired for him. And this really is the first step of making one's faith your own. I think that sometimes we, myself included, get so caught up in the beliefs that we're supposed to have or the ways we're supposed to act that we forget that our faith is actually a relationship with a personal and loving God. I think we lose sight of the fact that it's not just about these beliefs, but it's relationship. There's a quote from the book, The Littlest Prince, that says, If you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather wood, divide the work, and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. So family, we want to yearn for the vast and endless sea. That's the love of our God. We can't get so caught up in the way we believe, or in what we believe, or the way we're supposed to act, even though those things are important that we forget why we believe those things and why we're meant to act those ways. 
I like the way the psalmist puts it in Psalm 42. It says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? It's almost the sense of discontentment when one isn't with God. It's, it's an unquenchable thirst. If we go back to the quote about the sea, there's this desire to get out to the sea that drives them to build the boat, not someone telling them, grab this lumber and put it here. I don't know how to build a boat, but I imagine that's how it went. For the psalmist, there's a longing to be with God. I love how it ends with the question, when can I go and meet with him? It's almost like there's this sense of impatient expectation. And I think that maybe there should be this sort of impatient expectation or discontentment in us. It might sound like a weird thing to say, but let me explain. I think we should feel this way because we're longing to experience God's presence in its fullness. But as of right now, we're only experiencing glimpses of it. So there should be some sense of discontentment or expectation as we yearn to experience more of who God is to gain a greater understanding of him and grow in relationship with him. That's what I say when, it's, when I say it starts with seeking God, to yearn or long or to desire for him. And we all have these deep longings or desires. It's human nature. We have a deep innate desire for intimacy, connection, or belonging. And we often try to fill these things by idolizing romantic relationships or sex or even friendships. But as much as these can be very good things that momentarily fill these desires, they can leave you feeling empty or broken. And because they're with imperfect people, they can also cause all sorts of hurt and disappointment. Or maybe you have the desire to succeed and be respected. And so we try to fill these things with, or we try to fill these desires with money or the American dream or fame or power or even likes on our Instagram posts. But again, these things may temporarily fill these longings, but they'll never bring you a full sense of fulfillment. You'll always want more power. You'll always want more money. You'll always want more Instagram likes or whatever. And the list could go on. We all have these deep longings or desires. And our culture tries to tell us that different things in this world will fill those longings. But the reality is that nothing in this world will ever fulfill them because they will only ever truly be fulfilled when we experience God's presence in its fullness after our time here on earth is over. C.S. Lewis writes, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And so we long for God. We, like King Josiah, need to frequently seek him and seek him with a sense of urgency. And because we live in a broken world, we, like the deer panting for the stream, continue to thirst for him. And while we take a drink, we're broken vessels and we'll become thirsty again. And it's only when we experience God in his fullness that we will never be thirsty again. This is the first step in making one's faith their own. And it should be reflected in the position of our hearts and in how we spend our time. If we long for a relationship with someone, we invest our time, our energy into that relationship. And so it should be with God. And while this is the first step in the journey, it's one that doesn't end. We need to be constantly seeking after God, just as we read in 2 Chronicles. And with that, let's return to our story for this morning. We'll pick it back up in 2 Chronicles 34, verse 3, and it says this. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, and idols. Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. 
Josiah's next step was recognizing some of the evil things that Israel was doing because of his father and his grandfather. And not just recognizing them, but actually doing something about it. He saw that Israel was worshiping false gods and idols and decided that he needed to get rid of them. It's also interesting to note that the Bible says that this next big step in his life happened in the 12th year of his reign. If you remember back to his first step of seeking God, that happened in his fourth, the fourth, eighth, eighth year, eighth year of his reign. Four years later, we have the 12th year of his reign when his next step happened. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened in those four years, and we don't know what small steps he took to get to that point, but what we do know is he didn't take all of his next steps all at once. He didn't accomplish everything in the story all at once. Just like the growth in our own lives, Josiah's growth was a process. And as we continue on, for the sake of time, I'm going to paraphrase some of the rest of the story. Following getting rid of all the altars and idols to false gods, Josiah continued to take next steps. The Bible says that in the 18th year of his reign as king, so now we've got the 8th, the 12th, the 18th year, he saw that the temple of God was in bad shape and he felt compelled to repair it. He told the high priest Hilkiah to pay for it out of what was collected at the temple. They hired carpenters and stonemasons and builders and they bought wood and stone for the repair work. Josiah recognized that the temple had fallen into disarray. The house of God had fallen into disarray. And instead of just seeing a need and leaving it be, Josiah took initiative. He took action, and he took the next step to make the changes he saw needed to be made. As the temple was being repaired, Hilkiah, the high priest, he spotted a scroll. He picked it up and was surprised. He was surprised because it was the scroll of the Lord, the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And he gave the scroll to Shaphan, the scribe, and he read it. The book may have been hidden away in the temple for many years, discarded by previous kings who wanted nothing to do with it. It probably contained parts of all or, 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 or some or all of the f- first five books of the Bible that were written down by Moses. You have to remember that the Bible as we know it now wasn't written yet. Then Shaphan, who had been given the book, read it to the king. When King Josiah heard the words of the book of the law, it says that he tore his clothes in despair. He knew these were God's words written down in the book, and he knew that they had broken God's laws. And he told Hilkiah the high priest, go ask of the Lord about the words of this book. God is greatly angry with us. Our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. But then we see how God responds to Josiah. He says, your heart was right. Remember that that seeking God involves the position of our hearts. Your heart was right. You Uh, And you humbled yourself before me when you heard the words I spoke against this place and its people. You tore your clothes and cried, I have heard you. You will not see the trouble that I will bring on this place. The king then sent men to gather all the elders of Judah, all the people of Judah. He went up to the house of the Lord and he read aloud from the book of the law to the people that were gathered there. The book of the covenant that had been found in the temple. And, and it's here that Josiah and the people of Israel make a promise that we read in 2 Chronicles 34, verse 31 to 32. It says, The king took his place of authority beside the pillar and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commands, laws, and decrees with all of his heart and soul. He promised to obey all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll, and he required everyone in Jerusalem and the people of Benjamin to make a similar pledge. The people of Jerusalem did so, renewing their covenant with God, the God of their ancestors.
And while the story of Josiah continues a little further, this is where we're going to stop for this morning and jump into a couple more takeaways as it relates to making your faith your own. I think it's really important to recognize that God doesn't expect you to take a bunch of big leaps or bounds all at once in your faith. We live in this microwave culture, this instant gratification culture, where we want things right away. We want it immediately. If your internet takes like three seconds to load, it's one of the most frustrating things. At least it is for me. Maybe I need a little more patience. But we live in this type of culture, but the reality is that our faith journey is often a slow process filled with lots of small next steps. We read in the story of King Josiah that his growth took time. He started with seeking God, and years later, years later, he started doing these other things. And the same is true in our own lives. We all have next steps we can take in our faith. God wants to see you take next steps, but he's not going to force you into them. He wants you to actively pursue them. He doesn't want to force you into relationship with him. He wants you to make that choice for yourself. And if we look back at King Josiah's life, we see that all of his next steps, they involved action. They involved him hearing or seeking God's call and then actually doing something about it. He felt convicted about following God, so he began to live his life in a way that honored him. He saw that there were false idols that were being worshipped, and he went and actively got rid of them. He saw that the temple was in disarray, so he put a team of people together to restore it. All of King Josiah's next steps involved him actively responding to God's call. In the same way, if we want to see growth in our lives, if we want to grow in our faith, if we want to make our faith our own, if we want to see growth in a relationship with God, we need to actively identify and take next steps. It's actually a big part of making our faith our own. But what does this practically look like? What does it practically look like to identify and take next steps? Honestly, it could look a hundred different ways. Maybe a thousand, maybe, maybe tens of thousands of different ways. Maybe you just need to start by seeking God like King Josiah did. Maybe you have questions about your faith. We'd love to chat about them with you. Maybe like Josiah and the nation of Israel, you recognize that there are things in your life that are pushing you further away from God that you need to get rid of. Or maybe you just need to be more intentional about spending time in Scripture or listening to God in prayer. Maybe you feel like you want to get baptized and make a public declaration to those around you of your faith. We're actually doing baptisms in a few weeks if you're interested. The point is maybe less about what the next step is, but that you're actually taking them. I'll being a small group leader for our grade 11 guys. I know some of them are in the room today. But they sometimes bug me by saying that they always know what question I'm going to ask at the end of our small group time together. It always goes something like this. I go, all right, okay, we've discussed some things. We've talked about some things today. That's great. But we can't just leave it as words. What can we actually do or apply this week? What's the practical application from today's discussion? And we see these calls to action in Scripture as well. At the end of the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus tells those, tells those listening to go and do likewise. Do likewise, it's an action word. In James 1, verse 22 to 25, we read, But don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So making our faith our own involves us actively identifying next steps and pursuing them. And sometimes, honestly, that just means trying different things. 
and figuring out what helps us connect best in our relationship with God. I think that sometimes we have this set idea in our heads of how this is supposed to go, how this is supposed to look, but in reality, there's no one right way to do it. It's funny, I've had basically the same conversation with a couple people recently. Several people tell me in the same conversation that they're struggling with reading their Bible, and then a couple minutes later, they tell me they hate reading. And I immediately think that maybe there's a correlation between the two. Yes, reading your Bible is important. Because it's where, it's God's word for us. It's where we learn about his character and more of who he is and the life he calls us to. But maybe if you dislike reading, instead you could try going for a walk, tossing in headphones and listening to scripture. Or maybe you need to put it on as an audiobook as you drive to work to start your day off on the right foot. My point with this example is this. There is certainly something to be said about pursuing God and continuing to be disciplined even when we don't feel like it. But God's made you a certain way. He's made me different, you different, everybody in here different. And with that, everyone has different ways that they connect best with God. If you're feeling like some new life needs breathed into your relationship with him, try something new. If it doesn't work, try something else. Try something that reflects the ways that he has made you. So seek God and take next steps. Which leads us to our final point for this morning. Yeah, I might be a little bit shorter than Pastor Jerry usually is. It's just how it goes. All right, which leads us to our final point for this morning. Throughout the entire story, while Josiah may be the main character, he never does any of it alone. When we look to the story, we see that Josiah's mother was a huge spiritual influence on him. Moreover, he had advisors, elders, and other leaders who surrounded him and helped him as he led Throughout his whole life, he was never leading the nation of Israel or pursuing God on his own. Soul community, I told you we'd come back to our family values today, but we believe that you can't do life alone. Maybe when you first heard the, li- the line, making your faith your own, it sounded a little bit like our individualistic culture, where we're number one, the world revolves around me, and I can just do me. But that couldn't be further from the truth. Well, it's a personal relationship with God. If you look at the different overarching themes of the Bible, it's clear that our faith was never meant to be, something, never meant to be an individualistic thing. In Ecclesiastes 4, we read that two are better than one. All throughout the Proverbs, there's the encouragement to seek advice or wise counsel. In 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, we read about how the church is a body with different unique parts, each one playing a unique role. In Galatians 6 verse 2, it says to carry each other's burdens. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11 tells us to encourage and build one another up. Romans 12 verse 15 tells us to rejoice and mourn with each other, and the list could go on and on. Making our faith our own is a journey. It takes time, but it's a journey we were never intended to do alone. So there's something really special about being a part of a church community, a church community where we can walk this journey together, where there are people who can help us learn or go, where there are people who can pick us up and encourage us when we're down, when we can pursue God together. So what does it look like to make your faith your own? It starts with seeking God. A step that doesn't end, but rather continues on as if an unquenchable thirst. It continues with identifying and actively pursuing next steps. I guarantee that we all have them. And finally, it's something that we're meant to do together. Seek God. Take next steps. You can't do life alone. 
With that, we actually want to end our time together this morning with communion. Hopefully you received a little juice and wafer when you walked in. If not, and you would like one, you can toss your hand in the air, and uh, someone from our team will bring one to you. If there are hands in the air, uh, Chanson will find you eventually. Keep Keep your hands up as we talk here. They're at the back walking around. Okay, good stuff. We're going to end our time with communion today. And communion actually provides the why behind why we want to make our faith our own. In communion, we remember what Jesus did on the cross and how that should affect us, the way we live our lives and the way we interact with people around us. In Romans 5 verse 8, we read, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. We want to make our faith our own, not because we want to earn our way into heaven, but rather in a response to the great love that God has shown us. That while we were still sinners, while we were still screw-ups, while we have done nothing to deserve it, Jesus gave up his life for us so that we could have eternal life and be in relationship with him. That's what we reflect on when we take communion together. So I invite you this morning to join us in communion. We practice an open table at Seoul where all believers are welcome. However, if you aren't so sure about this whole Jesus thing, there's no pressure to participate. Feel free to sit back, relax, and take it all in. We'd actually love to chat with you more about who Jesus is and how he's changed our lives. You can reach out to the office or chat with a staff member or maybe someone who brought you if you have any questions. But for the rest of us, we're going to move into communion together. And we're going to start by taking a minute to reflect on Jesus' love for us as shown by his sacrifice on the cross. And then I want you to reflect on what your response should be to that great love as we make our faith our own. Let's pause for a moment of reflection. Let's read together from 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23. It says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Let's eat the bread together.
In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's drink the cup together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your great love for us that we have done nothing to deserve. I thank you that you sent your son to die in our place so that we could have eternal life and be in relationship with you. God, I thank you for a community of believers that we can pursue you with. And God, I pray that you would help us make our faith our own. Amen. In ancient times, the one giving the blessing would extend their hands, and those wanting to receive the blessing would do likewise. If you'd like a blessing this morning, I'd encourage you to stand up if you're able and extend your hands. Soul family, go into the week with the knowledge that you are deeply loved by a God no matter what circumstance you find yourself in. Go seeking him with an unquenchable thirst. Go identifying and actively pursuing next steps and go together, not alone. Go and live the church, and we'll see you next week.